0: Make a fiery serpent, and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. In the name of Jesus, amen. I've witnessed this in my own children. I'm sure I, I did it myself as a kid, and, and in all honesty, I've probably done it rather recently. Um, standing in front of the refrigerator, both doors wide open, food practically falling out, it's so full, and saying, We have absolutely nothing to eat. <laughs> Perhaps you've done the same, a full pantry, things, what? We have nothing. There's nothing here. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Did you catch that? (laughs) There's no food, and we loathe this food. (laughs) Something does not compute there. At least does not compute until you realize that these Israelites, just weeks, mind you, out of deliverance, miraculous deliverance from slavery in Egypt, You'd think Moses had kidnapped them from Disneyland or something like that. There is no food, and we loathe this food. doesn't compute, doesn't make sense until you realize that those Israelites back in the day are a whole lot like you and me, people who have this penchant, this predisposition, this sickness even, for seeing, for holding on to, dwelling on just about the worst in every situation. Whether that be a pantry devoid of cheeses, or maybe more significantly, more importantly, and destructive, the worst within ourselves and between us. That's where my mind went anyway. We have a way of doing that too. For example, I remember almost nothing about the second grade. I cannot remember for the life of me the name of my teacher or much of anything else that happened except this. One day, I got sick and threw up (laughs) right in front of the drinking fountain, right in front of everyone else. And though other kids had thrown up that year in the classroom, for some reason, it was traumatically embarrassing for me. I remember nothing else about the second grade except that. I remember nothing about the third grader. I I do remember the name of my teacher in fourth grade, it was Miss Hemler, but the only other thing that I remember about the fourth grade is that I once got a D on a spelling test. I remember that because it's the worst grade I ever got on anything. The second worst grade I ever got was a C-minus I got on a paper at seminary in St. Louis in 1996. (laughs) And I remember that, too. Now, the main reason I got the the C-minus on that paper is because I wrote an eight-page paper when Dr. Hummel said it was supposed to be three pages. But still, it's the only thing I remember about that class, or frankly, about that whole year at seminary. (laughs) Is that kind of thing true of you as well? I bet it is. The way we hold on to our worsts. And of course, those examples are all pretty inconsequential. There are other things within me that stick with me as they stick with you that we are not going to share here. As you, with you, things that you're ashamed of and embarrassed by, and, and that you have no difficulty at all recalling at the drop of a hat. You may not be able to remember what you had for breakfast three hours ago, but all the garbage from 30 years ago, your own garbage, someone else's garbage, the not-quite-complimentary-enough-compliment that was said, not said. Everything the least bit wrong with our world that we join the Israelites in grumbling about, all of that can be recalled in an instance and with details. All of which is to say that given who we are and what we focus on, the kind of things we remember, how broken we are, had we been there in the wilderness back then, we would very likely have already forgotten about the miraculous trip through the Red Sea. We'd be making a list of all of the quirks of Moses that were driving us crazy and launched into grumbling about the food that was literally falling from the heavens. (laughs) And... I'm glad this doesn't happen when I complain about there being no (laughs) Cheez-Its. And we would have been suffering the consequences which in the case of those Israelites would have been fiery serpents that found grumblers extra tasty. (laughs) And we could spend a lot of time thinking about and and parsing that scene. But what most stands out to me and what, what perhaps is most important for us today, what we can learn most From about God and how that God deals with us is the very unique way that God provides a remedy. God has Moses make a serpent and and, and run it up the flagpole so that anyone who looks upon this serpent would be healed. That is, the healing came. The healing came in lifting up their eyes and looking to the very thing that stood for, that was a sign for their sin. Looking on the very thing that could not help but make them think about their worsts. Isn't that something? God heals them by having them look upon the very thing that could not help but make them think about, acknowledge, and face their worsts. There's something powerful there god does not do what i might be tempted what what you might be tempted to say to someone who can't forget or who's suffering the consequences of their worsts god does not say well you know you just need to move on you need to put it behind you and just forget all about it in this case god says run it up the flagpole but here's the thing he does not say run it up the flagpole so that he can bear it, embarrass you or, or make you think about the thing that you are not going to have any trouble not thinking about anyway. He says run it up the flagpole because he wants to make sure that you know, that I know, that we know, that he knows. And that he not only knows, but that he heals. There's something about lifting it up. Lifting up the worst before us that makes the healing possible. I think that's why Jesus does what he does with this story in the beautiful passage in in John chapter 3. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus, who's coming to him in the dark, speaking of hiding things. He says, so the Son of Man, who says just like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man, that is he himself, be lifted up. And now you might hear that and say, well, Jesus, that's, some, that's a weird interpretation because I'm not exactly sure how that works. The snake, I get how that represented, was a sign of the, of the people's sins, but how does Jesus lift it up? Does Jesus lift it up? Does Jesus lift it up? have us looking upon, thinking upon, and acknowledging our worsts? Might not be what first comes to mind when you think of Jesus on the cross, but yes, it does. You know, we usually have a Jesus up there. Right now, if you're wondering, Jesus is in the closet. (laughs) Probably a sermon in that too, right? Someday. Taking Jesus out of the closet. We'll do it on Easter. Come back then. 6.54 a.m. and 10 a.m. in a few weeks. But when Jesus is up there, we come in every day and we see Jesus, arms spread, looking right at us, and it's probably not the first thing that comes to your mind, but maybe it could be the first thing that comes to your mind, and seeing Jesus there is to see your worst. We we sang in that, that opening hymn, my sins upon his shoulders. One of the things we see when we look at Jesus is we see all our own brokenness, all our own grumblings, all our inward turningness, all the stuff that we have done and left undone that leads to what? That leads to Jesus lifted up on the cross. But when we look at it there, it's not there to rub it in our faces or to give us some kind of guilt trip. Like I said, you already come here on a Sunday morning pre-guilted with all the C-minuses and Ds and public pukings right there before your eyes. But to see it lifted up there on Jesus is to see it acknowledged and known. And yet in here is the good news, to know that even as it is known, it does not condemn you. It does not define you. That's what Jesus is all about in that beautiful passage. I know we all know the wonderful passage, John 3.16. Tim Tebow puts it in the eye black, or at least he used to, under his eyes. Maybe somebody else does now. And it's a wonderful verse. But I wish he put John 3.17 on his right eye and maybe 3.16 on the left. For the Son of Man came. We got the Jesus that God gave his Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But John 3.17, the Son of Man came not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. The Son of Man is lifted up. It is your sins run up the flagpole, but not to condemn you. Jesus lifted up for your worst, says you need not hide them, for not even your worsts can condemn you. For God so loved the world, that's what defines you, loved by God, that not even the things that we cannot forget, and maybe some people won't let you forget, especially the things we cannot forget, are all wrapped up and swallowed up in a love that is stronger than death. This this past week I've been reading a book called Tattoos on the Heart. It's a good book. Pick it up. It's by a guy named uh, Father Greg Boyle, priest and founder of something called Homeboy Ministries. (laughs) In Los Angeles County, it's a ministry um, directed for the last, what, 30, 40 years, I guess, um, to, uh, to harden gangbangers from the streets of, of Los Angeles. And he, he ministers to the hardest of the hard. Um, he's, he says he's, he's baptized thousands of these gang members and former gang members, and fortunately he's buried hundreds, most of them teenagers or early 20s, who died due to, to gang violence. And they're all, they're all hard. They've all got long records, Um, They're they're thieves, and they're dealers, and they're killers. And and Father Boyle knows it all. This Homeboy Ministries does things like uh, they provide jobs and job training. One of the big things they do is uh, tattoo removal, because I guess it's hard to get a job at McDonald's when tattooed on your forehead is like, well, I won't say. You can imagine. (laughs) Want fries with that. So tattoo removal. Well, evidently, this is the story. Lots of great stories in the book. In 1990, Mike Wallace, you know, guess 60 Minutes high drama, high intensity journalist. Um, here's about Father Greg Boyle and Homeboy Ministries. And so he goes and wants to interview uh, the priest and, and some of the folks he works with. And uh, again, he's looking for that, that shot, the, the, the drama. And so he gets into the interview and he, he turns to Boyle and he says, you know all about these guys. You know their records, you know of what they've done. He says, why don't you turn them in? Boyle said he kind of chuckled and he said, well, I, I didn't take my vows to the LAPD. I took them to the church, and so I'll, I'll serve them. Not, not getting what he wanted there, then uh, Wallace, he finds the, the toughest of the tough, the hardest of the hard, maybe maybe still with a tattoo, literally with his sins tattooed on his face. Turns to the hardest of the hard and says to him, says, this guy, think of a boy, he knows all about you. He knows your record. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. Why? What makes you think that he will not turn you in? The gangbanger shrugs his shoulders and says, Uh, God? <laughs> Which is the perfect answer. The per Uh, God? <laughs> Why, instead of hiding our worst from ourselves, from others, especially from God, why run them up the flagpole? Well, the answer, uh, God, the kind of God reflected in the life of a man like Father Greg Boyle, who comes not to condemn, but to save. How can we do something here week after week, something so honest and true and countercultural and frankly just weird, is start out a service with saying, I, a poor, miserable sinner... Why? Uh, God. (laughs) The God who delights to respond, all is forgiven. Uh, How can you become the kind of person to whom others, instead of hiding their sins for for fear of what you would say or think of them, runs them right up the flagpole in front of you? Why? Uh, God. Because God has uh, graced you with the kind of lips that can say, Brother, if Jesus doesn't condemn you, neither do I. Jesus saves. It's the coolest thing. Right up the flagpole, there's these passages in Scripture that, you know, that that, that one of my favorites, you know, it says that our Lord remembers our sins no more. And that's beautiful in a way. But there's also a beauty in knowing that he does remember. That he does remember all your sins that they're right up to the flagpole and he sees them. You know, think of the people who, who most love you, who you most love. It's a parent, a spouse, a children. One of the things that makes you love them so as you do and makes their love so uh, beautiful to you is not that they've forgotten everything, but that they know and still love you. (laughs) You If my spouse suddenly got conked over the head and forgot all the garbage I've done over the years, she'd still love me, but it'd be a different love. The love's more beautiful in the fact that she knows and yet still loves that's the love of God for you the grumblings the c minuses the d's the public pukings and all the equivalents the worst you can face them you can look the snakes in the eye you can even put them on a flagpole why uh God (laughs) you can put them on a flagpole because God and Jesus has already put them on the cross